Hey, Joel, and good morning to you, church family. So great to be with you this morning, gathered together as the body of Christ, united in the gospel uh, that we love and share together. It's great to be with you, and as, as always, it's great to be watching you interacting with one another in the chat. How fantastic was that confinement challenge this morning? Well done, Whiteside and Walter's families. Looking forward to doing that again next week. And a fantastic time of worship again. Grateful to God for all of this and uh, for you for being here this morning. And excited to be able to hop into God's Word now. And we are continuing in our Conversations with Jesus series this morning. We're looking at the topic of authority. And we have an interesting relationship with authority, don't we? I'm sure that there are some of you tuning in this morning who would say that you are more on the side of being willing to take charge. You don't mind being in authority and being in the spotlight and and taking leadership. And then I'm sure there are some on the other side of the spectrum here this morning who would prefer to be more behind the scenes and to submit to leadership and take care of things, again, behind the scenes. Well, wherever you are on that spectrum... The issues in our lives that arise because of authority come down to one of two things. Authority is often misused in our lives. It's used to dominate and to dictate and to push one's own agenda. But then the other side of that, authority is often not respected or recognized. And both can be a problem. You know, we look back on the authoritative rulers throughout history, the Alexander the Greats of the world, for example, who ruled with an iron fist, commanded massive armies and ruled vast empires who crushed any that would stand in their way. And we can almost glorify those people and the impact that they had. And then today we can look at political leaders, CEOs and business people, And we have no problem complaining or critiquing every move that they make. Posting about them on social media. Talking at length about them and about what we believe to be foolish decisions with other people. Obsessing over elections. And yet we fail to realize that the same pursuit of authority that people throughout history have undergone and people today are pursuing... It's the exact same thing that's tearing our marriages apart. The my spouse serves me thinking. Or it's what's driving our kids further and further away from us. It's what's damaging our witness in our extended families or in our workplaces as we connive and scheme to get our own way. To always be right no matter what, even if it means being wrong in the way that I'm right. To never show any instance of weakness. To hide our sin and not deal with it in the way that God desires. Because we want to appear like we are in control. It may not always be public or overt. But we all long for authority in some way, shape, or form. We all crave it. And that pursuit can be particularly damaging. As we look to God's word this morning, we will meet a man who had significant authority in his life. And yet even he recognized that the authority that he had didn't cut it. 
that there was an authority so much greater than any we could ever attain in this life. As we discuss this topic, my hope and prayer for us is that we would realize in every area of my life, I'm under the authority of Jesus Christ. And that the truth of that statement realized would impact how we view our relationship with him and also with others. We come this morning to a passage of scripture that is ripe with theological and personal significance for us. So before we spend time reading from Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 to 13, hope you're turning there, let me pray for us and ask God to speak to us from his word this morning. God Almighty, we bow before you humbly in this moment, Lord, to recognize our deep need for you. Father, we need to hear you speak. God, we need to have you lead and guide us. We need to have your word penetrate into our hearts and our minds to reveal to us the areas of our lives where we are far from you. God, we are weak. We are frail. Many here are coming into this place all too aware of that. Father, we need encouragement from you this morning. We need to see you in a greater way. So, Father, as we stare into your face, as we look to your word now, God, would you grant us an attentiveness to it? Father, would you reveal to us your nature, your authority, your strength and your power in a greater way than we have ever understood it before? And, Father, would that truly change our lives, we pray? This is your word. Your living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword word. The word that is piercing to the division of soul and of spirit and of joints and of marrow. And Lord, we ask that your word would go forth and do exactly what you desire for it to do in our lives today. We humbly submit to you in this moment, Father. So do what you want to. It's in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 to 13. Follow along with me as I read God's words to us this morning. When he, Jesus, had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him. Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go and he goes and to another, come and he comes and to my servant, do this and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled. And said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go. Let it be done for you as you have believed. 
and the servant was healed at that very moment. In every area, every aspect of my life, I am under the authority of Jesus Christ. Now, Matthew's account of this particular interaction is not the only instance of it that we see in Scripture. In Luke's Gospel, chapter, chapter 7, this conversation is detailed as well. And it's of note to mention in Luke's account that he adds the interesting detail that the centurion actually sent Jewish elders to Jesus to bring his request for healing, and he didn't actually come personally, which for whatever reason, Matthew leaves out. But that's important first because the initiation of the centurion to send Jewish elders means that the conversation is still happening between him and Jesus with just a third party bringing the message. And secondly, the use of Jewish elders is a move of great respect for the cultural customs of the day, as the centurion was a Gentile and not of Jewish descent. Which leads us to our first point this morning. If I'm going to live under the authority of Jesus in every aspect of my life, first, it takes humility. It takes me understanding my place. Notice how the centurion asks his request of Jesus. Look back at verse 6. He says, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. He calls him Lord. I mean, really, this is the equivalent of this centurion calling Jesus his commander and chief. Centurions were the backbone of the Roman army at the time. They had command of about a hundred or so soldiers, and they were a direct report to the emperor, and their words and orders were a direct reflection of the Roman Empire. See, the centurion's authority came from the authority of the emperor, which was who he was sent out by. So the fact that this centurion, with all the authority that he had, came to someone else and called him Lord, and not just someone else, but a Jewish man, that's significant. And the importance of that can't be lost on us, as he here is directly acknowledging Jesus's authority. He goes on to tell tell Jesus that his servant, who he obviously cared deeply about, revealing more of this man's character, is paralyzed and in extreme pain, to which Jesus responds, okay, I'll, I'll come and heal him. And see, the story could have ended right there. The centurion got what it was that his heart was longing for. He longed to have his servant healed, to, to be delivered from Whatever had struck him paralyzed and riddled with pain, Jesus could have come, laid his hands on him and healed him. And it would have been an amazing miracle and evidence again of of Jesus' love and compassion and care of his deity and of his strength. But the way the centurion responds ratchets up the awesomeness of this interaction. Look down at verse 8. But the centurion replied, Notice he says this word again, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. I mean, do you see the humility here? The centurion recognizes who Jesus is. He understands his complete and utter utter unworthiness to even have Jesus into his home. He gets that Jesus isn't just a man. 
He understands his might to heal his servant with just the power of his word. You see, the centurion gets his place. Even as one who had authority bestowed to him by the ruling power of the day, he understood that Jesus held higher authority. See, for us today, the ultimate authority in our lives is not the government. It's not some higher standard of morality. It's not some higher level of education or thought or understanding. It's not personal achievement or wealth. It's not social status or our rights as citizens. It's not whatever it is that we like to use to fuel our own claim to fame. For the follower of Jesus, he is the ultimate authority in all matters of our lives. And any authority we may have in this life is a gift from him. Really, the understanding of the centurion is remarkable given that he just had a relatively small glimpse into the life and ministry of Jesus. We hold in our hands this morning the full record of Jesus' life and ministry. And so often we forget that we too are just as unworthy as he was. The fact of the matter is, if we want the heart and life change that so many of us desire then we need to welcome the idea that in every aspect of our lives, Jesus holds the final word. Following Jesus doesn't mean that he has authority over some of our lives or we give him three days out of the week and the other four are ruled by something else. Jesus rules in every aspect at all times. And when we humble ourselves before that, we will see change. I've got three areas specifically that having a right view of Jesus will impact and change. The first is, it'll impact my relationships. If Jesus is the ultimate authority in my life, then I'm going to view other people the way that he did. Ephesians 5.21 says it clearly that we need to be submitting to one another, here it is, out of reverence for Christ. Ephesians 5, 18 to chapter 6, verse 9 is really the proof text for this. I would encourage you to take a look at that sometime this week if you're feeling convicted to pursue change in this area. But the fact of the matter is, Jesus came and served. So whether it's your husband or your wife, your brother or your sister, your mother or your father, your son or daughter, best friend, acquaintance, neighbor, coworker, follower of Jesus or not, it doesn't matter. Recognizing Jesus as the ultimate authority in our lives means that I am here to serve for the good of those around me. Conducting myself with grace and with truth as he did. Are there relationships in your life that are being ruled by something or someone else other than Jesus? Are there perceptions of others influencing how you act around certain people? Are you lowering the bar in the standards of your life when you're around them? Or are you dominating or domineering over relationships in your life because you view yourself as better? Having a true understanding of 
who Jesus is impacts my relationships. It does this next. It impacts my decisions. The decisions of my life, the direction of my life is completely dictated by him. And that should come down to the words that we choose to use. The attitude that you have when your feet hit the ground in the morning. The thoughts that you allow into your head and into your heart. And it goes all the way up to like the major decisions of our lives. The school we choose to attend, the career path we choose to pursue, the job I take, the house I buy, where I spend my money, who I date, what I watch. The list goes on and on. But who or what is influencing your decisions? Who is at the core of your life? See, if we truly surrender to Jesus and receive the forgiveness of sins and he takes over as Lord of our lives, that means that his word and his example are the benchmarks for us in every area. If you're looking for a passage on this, Proverbs 2 and 3 are phenomenal in this area. I love what chapter 3 verse 6 says, In all your ways acknowledge him. And he will make straight your paths. In how many ways? All your ways acknowledge him. Lastly, having a right view of Jesus impacts my disciplines. What I choose to commit to on a daily basis. Want to know how to humble yourself before the Lord? Read, pray, worship, and serve. Read. Crack the book. Understand your need for a daily word from the Lord and for a deeper understanding of who he is and what he calls you to. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. All scripture. Pray. Bow before him. Cry out to him in prayer for what's going on in your life and in the lives of those around you. Pray to him for the humility and the growth that you desire. Worship personally and corporately. Spend time praising and adoring him in song, but then also in generosity and in deed. And lastly, serve. Serve in the church and serve in the community. And inherent in the nature of all four of these things is humility as to say that they are outwards, outward expressions of an already inward reality. It is inherently humbling to say that you're going to intentionally carve out time in your day to get before God and to spend time in his word. Or to get on your knees before him when you start your day or when you're coming into a tough situation or a conversation. In any circumstance, going to prayer is an act of humility. To worship God sacrifices your pride at the altar of who he is as you consider his nature and what he's done and praise him for that. And service, I mean, to serve, that's an easy one to see. To set yourself and your wants aside, to care for the wants and needs of others, to care for kids at Harvest Kids in Awana, to serve as a small group leader in Harvest Youth, to lead small groups, some of our adult small groups here, or to lead Bible studies, or to welcome people, or to go out of your way to care for someone in need. All of it gets, it gets our minds off of ourselves. And as the truth of Jesus' authority continues to penetrate deeper and deeper into our lives as we seek to humble ourselves, 
we will surrender our pride, which will result in an understanding of just how unworthy we are before him, leading us to greater humility as we live for him. And then see this next, when I live under the authority of Jesus in every aspect of my life, it empowers faith. It empowers faith. We come to the climax of this story in verse 9. Look again. When the centurion says, For I, too, am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, Go, and he goes, and to another, Come, and he comes, and to my servant, Do this, and he does it. You see, that seemingly insignificant three-word phrase at the start of this verse is an indication for us that this centurion understands it. He gets it. For I too. He knows his position of being under the authority of the powers that be in Rome and knew where his authority came from. And even in his limited understanding of who Jesus truly was, in his limited Christological understanding, he recognized that Jesus was certainly sent by God and bestowed with his power. See, when the centurion spoke, Rome spoke. But he understood when Jesus spoke, God spoke. The power that Jesus had to heal his servant by simply his words, came from the fact that he had the power of God within him. The centurion goes on to say that if he, as one who is subject to authority, is able to make commands which are obeyed and followed, then Jesus, who is subject to no one, his commands must be done because of the authority he has and where it comes from. These words in verse 9 again reveal the centurion's humility and faith in saying, if even I have the authority to have my words obeyed, and I am so much less than you, Jesus, then certainly what you say must be done because of where your authority comes from and because of the fact that you have ultimate authority. See, the centurion gets here what so many even in Israel didn't understand. This one in front of him was the long-awaited Messiah. The sent one of God to establish his kingdom. So in hearing what the centurion says and in hearing his clear declaration of understanding and faith in who he is, Jesus responds by saying just that, verse 10. And when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly I tell you, with no one In Israel, have I found such faith? Of course, it's Mother's Day today, and I hope you're planning on celebrating the special moms and women in your life in some way, shape, or form. But as I was thinking through this idea of vested authority, it brought to my mind the fact that, you know, we as parents have authority in the lives of our kids, vested to us by God himself and prescribed in his word. But of course, what do our kids do growing up? They test that, right? They try to push the boundaries of our authority to see where the line is until, and as was certainly the case in my home, you heard that tone. 
You know what I'm talking about? You heard, you heard your mom speak with that tone of voice, the one that shook you down to your very core. They didn't need to say it, but it was the, I brought you into this world and I can take you out just as easy tone. The one that made you drop the video game remote, turn off the TV, run upstairs from the basement and go do the dishes you were asked to do like four or five times without saying a word. Yes, that's specific. And yes, there is a reason why. Now, for those of you who uh, don't know, my mom is Jeannie Chorus, who happens to be the children's ministry director here at Harvest. Yes, the pretty colors in her hair, Jeannie, the so fun Jeannie, the handing out starburst Jeannie, the high five Jeannie, her mom voice is enough to strike fear into the hearts of many. Some of you have heard that. You've caught a glimpse of that and you know exactly what I'm talking about. Small, but mighty, right? Love you, mom. Happy Mother's Day. Probably going to hear about that one later. You see what Jesus holds ultimate authority. What he plans and purposes to do will happen. And he marveled at the faith of this man, this Gentile who did not know Jewish traditions, who did not grow up going to synagogue, hearing about the faithfulness of God. And yet he understood better than all of the people who had had that in Israel. You see, his faith came not in just believing that Jesus had the ability to heal his servant by the word of his power, but it came in his understanding of the full measure of Jesus's authority over all things in this world. And of course, we have the blessing that the centurion didn't in having the full account of Jesus's life and ministry before us. So we can see past even just this passage to just before Jesus departed from this world in Matthew 28, 18, when he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus, as the son of God, part of the triune God had all the power and the authority of the Son as he donned human flesh and came down to this earth. He had authority over disease and sickness as evidenced in this passage. A poignant fact for us to remember and consider given where we're at right now. He had authority over demons and cast them out. He had authority over the wind and the waves and calmed them with just his words. He had the authority to raise the dead, to forgive sins, to release from bondage and slavery, to break down hard hearts and to save sinners. And this Gentile saw that, understood it and recognized the implications and that empowered him to believe. Even that Jesus with his ultimate power and authority submitted to earthly authorities, bearing our sin and our shame, submitted also to the power of death, the power that we all one day will succumb to. But that power that we have no power over, he defeated. Jesus holds ultimate authority. 
And as we pursue him and see the will of God play out in our lives and the lives of others, the natural response then is for our faith to deepen and grow. Because Jesus is the one in whom all things hold together and his authority is exercised in our lives right in front of our eyes on a daily basis in that the universe, which he was the agent in creating, hasn't come completely unraveled. In that we have life and breath and all the necessities of life that we need to survive on a daily basis. In that the sun rises and sets and the planet on which we live is hung so perfectly in the solar system so that we're not freezing or burning up by being too close or too far away from the sun. If that wasn't enough, his authority is found in the mercy and grace and forgiveness that we experience daily in the victory that he won for us by hanging on the cross. By dying a death that we deserve conquering the powers of sin and death by raising to new life three days later. And oh, that we would have eyes to see the authority of Jesus on display in the creation around us, in the lives of others and in our lives as well. And oh, that that would raise up in us greater levels of faith and trust in him and submission to his authority. Make it so, Lord, we pray. Do you know the authority of Jesus? Do you know the implications of that for you? Are you surrendering completely to him, recognizing that he has the authority to make us go when he tells us to, to draw us close when he invites us in, And to do what he asks as we recognize that he is the one in whom faith is found and in whom faith is grown. If the centurion with his limited understanding and perspective of who Jesus was was able to understand that, then we have no excuse. The audience then that Jesus turns to in verse 11 was more than likely made up of mostly Jews who would have been shocked to hear what Jesus said about the centurion's faith. Up until now, Gentiles were pagans, unable to enter the family of God. But what Jesus claimed next was even more controversial for the Jews, but even more remarkable for the Gentiles. See this last. When I live under the authority of Jesus in every aspect of my life, it brings hope. Submitting to Jesus' authority isn't some curse. It's, It's not some burden in our lives as we often view submitting to authority to be. Verse 11, I tell you, Jesus says, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of God. The reference to those coming from the east and the west are the Gentiles, the non-Jews. And Jesus is saying that they will have a seat at the banquet of the Messiah, the marriage supper of the Lamb, as detailed in Revelation 19, in the kingdom of heaven available to them through him. Jesus pulls no punches here. Right down to the fact that he makes 
reference to the patriarchs of, Eve, of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the forefathers of the nation, and includes Gentiles into the family of God, which was completely preposterous to the Jews of that day. The centurion's faith and Jesus' commendation of that was indication that salvation through him is available to any who call on his name. Any who recognize that Christ alone has the ultimate authority and is the means by which salvation and forgiveness can be received. A promise filled with unbelievable hope where before there was none. And see, for the Jews, most believed that the Gentiles were unable to be saved. That they were unsavable. But as we discussed last week, no one is beyond the reach of God. Salvation is available through Jesus Christ to all, regardless of where you're coming from. And as if that wasn't enough, we come to verse 12, where Jesus goes right after them. Many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The phrase sons of the kingdom referred to the Jews who expected a seat at the table of God by right, not through the Messiah. Those who believed that because they were born Jews, eternal life was automatic. But for them, Jesus says there's nothing but outer darkness. Cast far away from the light and the hope and the joy of the banquet hall of God to a place of darkness and despair, of weeping and gnashing of teeth. The place Jesus speaks of here is hell. Let's make no mistake about that. The place where all who do not call on the name of Jesus will be sent. William Hendrickson describes the place in this way. The tears of which Jesus speaks here are those of inconsolable, never-ending wretchedness and utter, everlasting hopelessness. The accompanying grinding or gnashing of teeth denotes excruciating pain and frenzied anger. This grinding of teeth, too, will never come to an end or cease. Hell is not some made-up place created to force people into being good. Hell is real. People who do not turn to Jesus will go there. You see, inherent in our understanding of what Jesus has done for us is what he has saved us to, certainly, which is forgiveness and eternal life, but also what he has saved us from. And we don't talk about that latter enough. Hell is a place that you don't want to be. And in Jesus Christ, we are promised the hope that we will not experience that place of unimaginable, utterly devastating, completely crippling evil. 
Jesus himself has the authority to unlock the gates of heaven or the gates of hell. And how you respond to him determines which path you take. Make no mistake, hell is what we all deserved. Because of our sin, we were guilty. The sentence was death. And every day that we spent here living in our sinfulness, living without forgiveness or salvation, was another day that the gavel came closer and closer to hitting the bench securing and sentencing us forever. To those who turn to Jesus, he bursts into the courtroom. He comes to us and takes the orange jumpsuit. He unlocks the shackles on our hands and feet and puts them on himself and stands to take our punishment, allowing us to go free. We leave the courtroom and enter back into the world as sons and daughters of, and daughters of his with the hope of abundant life now and eternal life to come. But I'm not naive enough to think that there aren't some of you tuning in this morning that are still there still in the courtroom. Still with the handcuffs on, awaiting your sentence. You're enjoying what you believe to be freedom and fullness of life, doing things your way, when really, you're just one day, one moment, one heartbeat away from spending eternity paying a price that you can never fully pay. Maybe you've convinced yourself, like so many, that there is no hell. That God does not judge. And at the end of the day, we're all just going to be okay. It's not what the book says. It's not what Jesus says. But in Jesus, there is hope for eternity. But not just for eternity. There is hope for now. Hope for joy, for peace, for fulfillment and freedom. And how you respond to Jesus today can change where you spend eternity. I would ask of you this, I would implore of you this morning to consider your life and weigh the cost. Is living for yourself and temporary enjoyment worth sacrificing an eternity of everlasting and unbelievable joy? See, the stakes are high. And who you bow the knee to on this earth matters. But For those who come to Jesus, it doesn't matter where you come from. Or what you've done what your nationality is or your background. All are welcome at the table of God and his kingdom. Through the gospel of hope, made available to us through Jesus Christ.
through submitting to his authority in all matters of your life, through confessing your sin to him that separates you from God and deserves a punishment of eternal death, through welcoming him as Lord of your life and the ultimate authority in all things. That's available to you this morning. Don't allow another moment to pass you by. And we see here, it's, it's almost added in as an afterthought from what all of has gone on in verses 10, 11, and 12. But nevertheless, it's absolutely incredible. Jesus, after declaring all that he has just said, turns the centurion and says, verse 13, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. It's a beautiful picture of the hope that comes from the authority of Jesus Christ. The promise of healing and blessing and the joy of his strength that comes from submitting to him. One can only imagine the, the joy and celebration that came in the household of this centurion at the healing of the beloved servant. See, it's only human nature to chafe against the idea of submitting to someone else's authority. Sure, some of us might be better at it than others, but at the end of the day, whether they believe in him or not, all people are under the authority of Jesus Christ. All are under the authority of the one to whom all must give account. All are under the authority of the one who one day will come bursting through the clouds, riding on a white horse. Revelation 19 is a wonderfully, perfectly terrifying picture of the authority of Jesus Christ. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written. King of kings and Lord of lords. To those who know and love him, these are verses and words of hope. To those who don't, words that should strike fear at the might and the power and the evident authority 
of the Son. Whether your time comes to leave this earth and to be called before the judgment seat of God or that picture happens right before your very eyes, how you respond to Jesus' authority today matters. The offer of life and hope in Jesus Christ is extended to all, but it does have an expiration date. For the followers of Christ, then, the commands are clear. Submit humbly. Follow passionately. Grow in your faith as you watch him work. Cling to the hope of eternity that comes from him. Will you see Jesus as the ultimate authority in all aspects of your life? Will you submit to him? Will you find the joy and the blessing that comes from submitting in everything to Jesus' authority? Let's pray. Lord God Almighty, it's impossible to not truly tremble before you in light of understanding the might and the authority that you have inherent in who you are. And so, King Jesus, in this place right now, we bow our hearts before you. We humble ourselves to recognize that if it weren't for you, we would be destitute and without hope destined for an eternity of devastating consequences, but yet you saw fit, Father, to send your own Son, full of power and might, the fullness of God in fullness of man, to die a death we deserved. So that in Him we can have life. So that in faith, through faith in Him we could have hope. So, Lord, with that in our minds and in our hearts, we, in all things, bow before your authority. We ask that you, by your word, would continue to renew our minds, to transform us more into your image, to challenge the aspect of our lives that don't line up with what you call us to, to be your hands and feet in every way in the world around us to go and make disciples of all nations, sharing the hope and the joy that is found in you to those around us. So God, do a mighty work in us, we pray. Do not allow us to leave this place unchanged. Would you move those being prompted by the Spirit right now to respond to you in faith? And Father, we ask that you would grow all of us to a deeper faith, to a deeper love, to a deeper trust in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.